are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So every Sunday that we come to church in one of our services, we have people who are here for the first time, like guests. Maybe they've been invited by a friend or maybe they're looking for a church. We also have people who come on occasion and they say, I don't go to church often, but when I come to church, this is where I attend. And then kind of on the other end of that spectrum, there's this group of people who say, I go to this church regularly. In fact, there are people who come to this church every Sunday of the year, maybe with the exception of one or two. They're just always here on Sunday morning. So you're in one of those categories. And so whichever category you're in, I guess I want to start this morning by asking you a question. And I really want you to get on the page with me. And I think it's going to help us kind of move forward in the sermon. What are you looking for? in a church. And and what is the role that you think the church should play in your life? Right? Really simple. So what are you looking for in a church? And what is the role that you think a church should play in your life? So here is what I believe is the truth. All right? So if I believe this is the truth, I want to know if you believe it's the truth. In fact, you might even write down what I'm about to say, because this is what I believe with everything in me. I believe that the church is here to help shape my life, to become more like Jesus. So if you think you can get on board with that, I want you to repeat the words after me, okay? I believe the church church is here to help shape my life To help me become more like Jesus. In fact, you might write it down and you might just kind of contemplate and ask yourself, do I really believe this? Do I really buy into this idea? Do I believe that's the role of the church in my life? And so you may say, so Rick, where do you get that? Where do you you get that information? Why, Why do you believe that? Well, one of the reasons I believe it is because of passages I find in the Bible like the book of Hebrews. So if you want to grab a Bible and open it with me to Hebrews chapter 10, okay? And I'm going to only going to read, I'm only going to read two verses, 24 and 25. So if you want to grab a Bible, uh, or we'll put the words on the screen for you as well. So here's what's going on with the Hebrew writer. He is talking in chapter 10 about the fact that since we are able to enter into the presence of God because of Jesus... He says three things. Let us draw near to Him. And let us hold to the hope that we profess. And then He says, and this is what we're going to focus on today. And let us consider. Let us think about it. Let's dream about it. Let's put our heads together. Let's think about how we might spur each other on. In this Christian faith toward love and good deeds. So here's what we're going to do. You and I, let's just sit down together and think a little bit, okay? Can we dream a little bit? Can we just begin to envision what might happen if we begin to dream about how we can encourage each other and spur one another on toward love and good deeds? So that's, that's the command, okay? You say, how, how do you do that? Well, he answers that in the next verse. He says, number one, don't do one thing, but do another thing. Don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. I mean, think about it. 
If you're not meeting together, if you're not spending time together, how are you going to encourage one another in this walk with Jesus, right? And then he says, but this is what you should do, but encouraging one another. Why are we going to do any of this? And that's the next line. And all the more, as we see the day approaching. So what's he talking about? Is he talking about judgment? Is he talking about eternal life? What, what's he talking about with those words? Let me tell you a story, okay? Before we moved to Oklahoma City four years ago, we were pastoring a church. I was pastoring a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. And one Wednesday night, we had people coming into our building for midweek stuff. And uh, one of the pastors was walking through the parking lot. And he sees a car pull up. It was a brand new Toyota Prius. The reason it caught his attention was because there was no license plate on it, but there wasn't a temporary tag on the car either. And he saw a guy get out of the car, and he doesn't recognize him. And the guy's only a few steps in front of him going into the church. And so when one of our staff pastors gets in the church, he sees the guy looking a little lost, like maybe he's looking for somebody or something. And so he walks up to him and he says, Hey, can I, can I help you? I'm a pastor here. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, I need some help. I, I need some gas money. Could you maybe give me some gas money? Does the church do that for people? Do they ever give people money for gas when they need gas? And so the pastor said, well, let me, let me look into it and see what I can do. Why don't you have a seat here in the office and let me get back with you? And so just because he was kind of concerned, he went and he called the local police station and he said... Maybe it's not a big deal, but I've got kind of an unusual situation. And I thought I might ought to just check in with you guys because there's a Toyota Prius. It's brand new, but it doesn't have a tag or a temporary tag. And the guy's asking for money for gas. And I just thought maybe I should check in with you guys. And the policeman says, absolutely you should check in because he just stole that car from the dealership just down the street. And so the deal was, you hold him there for about six, seven minutes. That's how long it will take us to get in place. We're on our way now. Give him the gas card, walk him out the door, and when you turn the corner on the building, we'll be there to take him down. And so that's what happened. Marshall gives him a gift card, says, I'll walk you to your car. They start out the door. When they get to the corner of the building, the police jump out, take the guy down, and they arrest him. So they put him in handcuffs. And as they're putting him in the back seat of the police cruiser, the officer with his hands on his head, kind of pushing him down into the back seat, he looks at the pastor and he says, I thought churches were supposed to help people. To which the pastor responded, I'm sorry, but we can't help people steal cars. (laughs) Now, now I know that's a bit of an exaggeration, okay? But we've been working through a book called Good and Beautiful Community by James Brian Smith. Lots of classes are studying it, groups are studying it, individuals are studying it as we work through this series. And James Brian Smith says there's a story being told out there, and it's not a good story. And here's the story. The church is here, and its purpose is to serve me and meet my needs. Now that's very different than saying, I believe that the truth is that the church is here to help shape my life and help me become more like Jesus. 
But there's another story that says there's this organization called the church. It's kind of big. It's kind of massive. There's like a board. There's like people. It's kind of worldwide. And the purpose of the church is to serve me and meet my needs. And if they don't serve me really well and meet my needs like I want them to, I might just go down the street to another church until I find one that serves me and meets my needs. So I think in order to make any progress this morning, we have to talk some about the church, okay? So let me start with this. Um, This past Wednesday night, I went to a university ministries event here at the church. Um, Jake Garrett is our university pastor, and he was telling me a few weeks ago that I'm going to start an event on Wednesday night for university students. And and he talked to me about what it was going to be like, and I was there Wednesday, and I thought it was really a great event, and got to be around... College students, you walk in and there's food and you eat dinner together. And then after dinner, there's a, uh, a teaching thing. And then there's small groups around tables. And, and I think it's really good. I read recently that if you love university students and you want to serve them, they eat in the cafeteria all the time and they're a long way from home. So just feed them and hug them. That's a great way to love on university students. And that's what Jake is doing. But I remember asking him, so what are you going to call this Wednesday night event that you do? And you know what he said I'm going to call it? I think I'm going to call it The Gathering. So I just got to tell you that it's an incredible name for a church event. And here's why. I'm going to put a word on the screen for you, okay? And the word is ecclesia. And you might ask me, so why is this word important to me? You notice it's a Greek word, and there's a very brief definition, and it simply means gathering of people, all right? Every time, every time, without exception, that you pick up this Bible and you find the word church in the New Testament, that word is behind it. That's the Greek word that we translate church, ecclesia. It simply means a gathering of people. Now, I don't don't mean to burst your bubble, but it was not like a religious term, all right? It was just a word that meant a gathering of people. It could have been a gathering of people who showed up at a sporting event. It could have been a group of people just sporting up, showing up at a family reunion, it just simply means a gathering of people. So, so you might ask what that looked like when the church was really young. Well, here's what it looked like. They met in homes. That's where they got together. That's where they gathered. And, and what did they do when they got to homes? Well, they had like a potluck. They called it a love feast. And then they would um, sing a hymn. And then they would quote some scripture because they probably didn't have a copy. This is before printing presses, you remember. And then they would discuss the Scripture, and then they would have communion together. So you say, hey, Rick, let me ask you a question. If, if, if ecclesia is a gathering of people, then why don't we call the church a gathering of people instead of a church? Well, there's reasons for it, so I'm going to walk you through it, okay? I'm going to give you another word. In, in, thir- in 313, Constantine became the Roman emperor. And here's what he did. He basically legalized Christianity. Up until that point, it was against the law. That's why people are having services hidden out in their homes. You can't do anything publicly. And so they began, after Christianity was legalized, to build buildings to worship in. Let me give you another word. This is a Latin word, and the word is basilica. You know what basilica means? Just a public building. That's all it means. There was so much influence of the Christians in the Gothic or the Germanic world that they began to use their own language, of course. And here's another word, and the word is kersha. 
It's a Germanic word and it simply means house of the Lord. And if you look at the word kersha just for a minute, does it make sense to you that that's where we get our word church? See the word? Now, when we started translating the New Testament from Greek into English, we did not translate the word ecclesia. If we had, we would have said gathering. Instead, we substituted a word because it was culturally popular to do so. And we used the word church. But the problem is this, that the church is not a building. It's a gathering of people. And so all through the New Testament, when you see the word church, when Jesus says stuff like, I will build my church, he wasn't saying, I'm going to build a big building like this one. No, he meant I'm going to gather a group of people. And when you read words like, and so the church was earnestly praying. Well, it wasn't in reference to a building earnestly praying. Buildings don't pray. People do. Or when it says the church was being prosecuted, I'm sorry, persecuted. It wasn't saying that we were persecuting some building somewhere. We were persecuting people were being persecuted. Every time you see the word church, it always and only refers to a gathering of people. Listen to me. The church is not a place that you go. The church is not a building. The church is not a location. The church is the people to whom you belong. And so the question we're trying to answer today, so what role do these people play in my life? So it might feel awkward at first, but I want you just to look around and make eye contact with about seven or eight people, different people. Will you do that? Look around until you finally catch eyes and kind of nod to somebody. You got that? You can turn around and do it too. Normally your mama says don't turn around during church, but it's okay today. You can turn around, nod at somebody. Okay? Have you made contact, eye contact with about six or seven people? Have you done that? So you know who you just made eye contact with? The church. I mean, those people that you just looked in the eye, that is the church of Jesus Christ. And so the question I'm wanting you to answer this morning is what role do these people play in my life? So Smith talks about a guy whose name is Wesley. He lived in the 18th century, John Wesley. And John Wesley was a pastor in the Anglican church. And there was another guy who was a preacher who was kind of this evangelist kind of guy. His name was George Whitfield. And George Whitfield left the church and he went outside to preach, honestly. I mean, he would go out and just preach to the people on the streets, anywhere he could gather a crowd. And he was quite an entertaining, engaging preacher. And he began to challenge John Wesley, hey John, why don't you get out of the church and quit preaching just to the Christians and go preach to the masses? And so John Wesley did what Whitfield said. And he goes out and he starts preaching to the masses. Now listen, there's a big difference Smith says in the two. Number one, Whitfield was really a better preacher than Wesley. He was more entertaining. He was more engaging. People liked hearing preach. And so he got bigger crowds and he got a lot more conversions than Wesley ever got. But there was a difference in the two guys. Here's what Wesley did. If you became a convert at one of his outdoor services, he would say to you, it's really important that you start attending one of our societies. Uh, They function like churches. 
And once you became a part of one of the societies, Wesley would say, look at me, you have got to get in one of our classes. And a class consisted of 12 people and a leader. And when you came to one of the classes, don't misunderstand me here. This was not a free ride. This was not go to Sunday school and just kind of listen until it's over. No, no, no. You were expected to be candid about the state of your soul. And so if you had sinned, you were expected to confess the sin to those other people. And if you had not been reading your Bible, you were supposed to confess that. And if you had not been praying, you were supposed to confess that. And if you haven't been performing works of service, you were supposed to confess that. I mean, you were going to be candid in one of those meetings about the state of your soul. And if you missed one of the classes, just one of the classes, guess what? You could not come back. The only way you could come back is if you went to Mr. Wesley himself and you gave him your excuse and he thought it was a good enough excuse. You say, man, this guy expected so much from his people. He did. But he saw great transformation. And the numbers were astounding. And what happened was the beginning of a movement, a mighty move of God in that culture. And he left his world completely changed. Whitfield? No follow-up plan. And he left no such legacy. What Wesley did was he gave his people a method. That's why they called all of his followers Methodist. It's not a religious term. He gave them a method to live out Christ-likeness in the context of a community of faith. Okay, so... When I think about 2016 and the way that we do church, it looks nothing like that. (laughs) It seems like to me that we expect so little of people. We don't want to ask too much of you because we don't want to offend you. And if we offend you, we live in such a consumeristic age that you might go to the church down the street. So we're not going to ask much. And so when we ask questions like, so do you attend regularly? I attend quite a bit. Are you a part of a group? No, it's not really for me. Do you give? Once in a while I give you a shot or two. Do you share your faith? Not my style. Do you serve? We don't have the time. And the result is we see little transformation. And nobody, nobody, nobody says, I feel like that I am for the first time in my life a part of a mighty move of God. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we find in the words of the Hebrew writer this morning that here's what we're supposed to do. You and I are supposed to do this. We are supposed to dream. And we are supposed to envision. And we're supposed to consider. And we're supposed to put our heads together and brainstorm. And we're supposed to look at each other and say, how can I spur you on? And how can you spur me on toward love and good deeds? How can you invest in my life? And how can I invest in your life that we actually become better followers of Jesus than we are now? That's what you're supposed to do. Now, the word spur that I just read to you has always caused me a little struggle. And here's why. My dad had a cousin whose name was Robert who owned horses. And when I was a kid, I loved to go to the barn and the farm and I loved to hang out with horses and I loved to ride the horses. Once in a while, Robert, this guy who was much older than me, he would put a spur on his boot. And it bothered me. And he would be jumping up on maybe one of my favorite mares. They were Tennessee walking horses. I'd say, Robert, really? You think she needs a spur today? I was trying to talk in defense of the horse. I didn't like to see him spur horses. 
And he would say to me, oh yeah, she needs a spur. And she's going to get a spur. A spur causes great irritation. A spur is meant to really irritate. And, and I opened the Bible, and the Bible says that, you know what we should do? We should spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, I think my wife understands this concept, and here's why. <laughs> the other day she says to me, Hey, Ricky, did you order those, buy rather those airline tickets that we talked about? And I said, No, I didn't buy them, but I did look at them. She said, Okay, but you're going to get them, right? Yes, I'm going to get them. I kind of, you know, sometimes answer with one of those, you know, don't need a mother, just need a wife at this point. So a few days later, we're driving down the road together in the car. And she says to me, hey, Rick, mind if I ask, did you get those plane tickets? I said, didn't buy them yet, but I'm going to. So here's what she says to me. After a few minutes of silence and tension, I feel begins to build in the car. <laughs> Let me just understand you, okay, Rick? Because, because you're not, not buying those because you think they're going to go down, are you? Because, like, isn't the pattern that airline tickets go up as you get closer to the date? Tension grows in the car between us. I'll get them, promise. I'll take care of it. So this morning she says to me, By the way, you, you got in bed last night and I had to get up and get some laundry and I did go look and those tickets have gone up. I would call that a slight irritation. What would you call that? Do you know why we struggle with the Word? Because there's tension in the Word. And the tension is to create irritation, but the irritation is to help you move forward. Alright? So the idea of spurring someone on is we know that we're going to be in irritation a bit. We're going to be honest. But the goal is to encourage you to do what you must and need to do. And so I don't know about you, but in my walk with God, once in a while, I need somebody to spur me on. I need somebody to be honest with me. So here's what I'm asking you. So in your life right now, if you just think about your life and your relationships and your walk with God, do you have a handful of people in your life who are honest with you when they need to be honest with you and say to you, I love you and you're my friend, but I'm a little concerned about you and this right here, and I think you need to maybe make some things different in your life. Do you have those people in your life today who are spurring you on? And maybe even a more difficult question to answer, are there a few people in your life that you are spurring on? Because the role of the church, sometimes it serves me. Sometimes it even meets my needs. But the role of the church is to help shape my life, to become more like Jesus. And there's got to be individuals speaking into my life daily saying, Rick, I love you. You're my friend. You're my brother. Come here. Give me a hug. Pull this together. Get this right. 
How do you do that? Well, he speaks in terms of practices. Don't stop meeting together. You need to be meeting together regularly. Encourage one another. I I believe, and I've been saying this to you for a few weeks, I believe that practices shape me. I believe God uses practices as a means of grace to shape my life. Now, I'm not discounting what the Holy Spirit does in me and through me by any means. There have been times when I've just felt like God has just changed my heart, done something powerful in me. But I believe that I'm obligated to begin to be involved in practices that shape my life. Here's what I mean. When I get up in the morning and I go in my little office and I sit down in that chair and that ottoman in front of me, I spread out my Bible and books and my phone and a prayer list, all those kinds of things. I believe that that time that I spend with God's Word, I believe it changes me. See? It changes the way that I think. It changes the way that I act. It changes me. And so I believe that not giving up meeting together, I believe it changes us when we come together. I hope that when you leave here, you say, man, I heard something, I learned something, and it's changing the way that I'm thinking. I believe adding a layer of that, of being a part of a smaller group, is really important. And I meet with a group of three guys, and I believe that has the potential of shaping my life and changing me. I believe giving changes me. It makes me less selfish. I believe sharing my faith changes me. I believe serving changes me. Some of the times when I've gone and tried to do something in service and I come home and go, wow, that was incredible. I don't think I'll ever be the same after that. So... To many of you, I've been your pastor for a while and I just want to look you in the eye right now and I want to say something really clear. I expect a lot out of you. I expect you to attend regularly. I don't expect you just to come to church when it's convenient. I expect a lot out of you in this regard. I expect you to make it priority. Mom and dad, I expect you to set the right example in front of your kids. I mean, I expect this to be high priority on your list and in your week. I expect you to be part of a smaller group. I expect you to be accountable to individuals. I expect these things of you. I expect you to give. I expect you to share your faith. I expect you to serve. I expect you to spend time alone with God's Word. I expect you to be a person who prays. Because it's through these practices that God shapes you. And it's through me and people who love you that spur you on and say, Come on, you know this is important. That our lives begin to be shaped into the image of Jesus. So why is all this important? And here's the last deal. All the more as we see the day approaching. This life is going to end one day. Life will not always be like we see it now. And I cannot come to the end of my life and say, I wasn't a very good Christian. I wasn't a very good follower of Jesus. Maybe I just picked a bad church that didn't expect much from me. Maybe I just picked a church that never wanted to offend me or was afraid they'd run me off or something. 
But what I really need in a church is a church that cares enough about me and a pastor that loves me enough that he says, I'm not going to leave you the way you are. I'm going to be a part of shaping your life to become what Jesus wants you to be. And so for this, all of us need grace, right? We all need grace and help, right? And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to receive grace and help this morning together as we receive communion. So those of you who are going to service, will you come now? Here's what I believe. I believe that when I take this bread and I eat it, and when I take this cup and I drink it, that I'm receiving in that moment the grace of Jesus Christ. And that my life can be shaped by His grace. And so in our church, we don't ask that you be a member of the church. Here's what we do ask you, okay? If you're going to receive this with us, we ask that you are sincere in seeking Jesus. And if you're not, feel a freedom to let it pass and not take it as it passes by. But if you are sincerely seeking Jesus, then we invite you to take the cup and the bread. And we will eat and we will drink together after everyone has been served. bread and he broke it and he said take this and eat it all of you it's my body that is broken for you
And he took the cup and he said, This is my blood of the new covenant. Drink it, all of you, and be thankful. And Father, we are thankful. For the church, and when we say the church, we mean these people that spur us on toward love and good deeds and helps shape us to become like Jesus. We thank you for your grace today to live this life. In Jesus' name, amen. So what do you do when you receive grace? You celebrate, right? So let's celebrate before we go. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.